I really believe that one of the ways that we build providential relationships is through doing four things together. You eat together, you play together, you talk about your life in the context of your faith together, and you work together. And Caesar, I think those are the things that if you want this fantastic relationship with anyone, if you want it with your spouse, if you want it with your children, if you want it with your closest friends, if you want it with your colleagues in ministry, whatever, at work, those are the four things you have to do. That is where I'm encouraging people to be involved with people and to be mulling out of your own purpose because you know that stuff, right? Yeah. It, God let you live that whole life. And as he's redeeming it, you have something very unique to offer. And normally, I think this is what other people come to you for. Welcome to the Everyday Disciple Podcast, where you'll learn how to live with greater intentionality and an integrated faith that naturally fits into every area of life. In other words, discipleship as a lifestyle. This is the stuff your parents, pastors, and seminary professors probably forgot to tell you. And now, here's your host, Caesar Kalinowski. All right, here we go, back together. Awesome. Hey, we did an episode last week on mauling people. It's a it sounds like mauling, but it's this model, assist, watch, and leave. It's how we develop leaders and uh, pass on anything to anybody, really. And uh, that was last episode. Today's going to be part two of that. But I feel like this last week, Tina and I are going in deep on the mauling because we've been watching two uh, of our four grandkids for about 10 days <laughs> Yeah, at their house. And we're a little out of practice with that. So, But here's where the mauling comes in from teaching them how to tie shoes to here's how you make scrambled eggs or movie popcorn or setting the table for dinner with all the stuff and the way it goes. It's all a big mauling process, really. So I don't know. That's just what I was thinking of as I was thinking about last week's episode and then also heading into part two, which I'll tell you a little bit more about that as we get closer to I'm going to share what's going on. Now, if you've not subscribed yet to the podcast, would you do that? Would you go and subscribe so you don't miss an episode? It's every Monday. Take a second, hit the, either the like or the button, hit subscribe. That way you won't miss an episode. And they'll be ready waiting for you when you're driving or working at the gym or whatever's going on. If you need to find a, a platform for that or you want to check out even new ones because there's always tons of new ones. I love that. There's Podcasts are exploding. You can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash listen and you'll see a whole list of those right there. Now, after you hear this episode today, I know that a bunch of you are going to be going, whoa, I want to lead like this, and I want to live like this, and I want to lead my church and my family this way. Well, if you're interested in doing that and you'd like some help, that's so much of what we're teaching in the coaching that we do and helping to encourage you with that, set up a custom roadmap so you go step-by-step -step fitting your context and all that. If you'd like to just explore a little bit more about how the coaching works, don't be shy. You can set up a short Zoom call with me, maybe with Tina as well. We'll answer any questions you have, get to know your story a little bit better, and see if the coaching is a good fit. You can go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash coaching, and that'll help you set that all up real easy peasy, all right? Now, this is going to be an extra special episode today. Like I said, it's kind of part two. Well, it is part two of last week's episode on developing leaders. Because today I have one of my absolute favorite people 
and a personal mentor with us on the podcast today. Yeah, he's a personal mentor of mine. I've talked about him before because we've talked a lot about the story of God and how we use that in community and discipleship. He's the one who originally exposed me to that and trained me in doing chronological Bible storying. That's really the story of God process that we use, and he trained us in all that. So I owe him a real, <laughs> a huge debt for that. And I'm going to bring him on in a minute here. But last week when we talked about developing new missional leaders and using that simple process called MAL that I was just talking about, model, assist, watch, and leave, go back and listen to that episode, by the way, if you haven't, because this is sort of part two of that. But he's the mentor that I learned that from as well. That's how mentors work. So our discussion today is sort of part two of what you learned last episode and kind of hearing it straight from the, my mentor's mouth. And he takes this so much further. He goes really deep into leadership development and how forming people really works. And oh, I felt like I was, well, being mentored as we <laughs> he and I talked. His name's John Witte. I think I mentioned that last time. He's a longtime friend of mine and mentor. And, and I met him while we were out working in South Sudan. And I've learned so much from him. And so will you today. We're going to discuss this leadership development, and I just know there will be some truth and leadership bombs dropped on y'all today. So, John, welcome, brother, and thanks for being with me. Thank you, Caesar. Good to be with you guys. Oh, man, I am so stoked to have you on. It's amazing. Let's just give folks a little bit of the context that I have, just as far as your ministry life and all that. So I met you in Africa, and you were IMB. International Mission Board missionary had been out in the field a lot of places for a lot, a lot of time. Just give us the, you know, the, the one, two minute version of the arc of your ministry experience. And then after you came out of the field and all that stuff. So, yeah, Caesar, I was raised in a uh, Southern Baptist home. My dad was a pastor, so I was around ministry, but actually I wasn't all that keen about it, uh, to be honest with you, I guess. And so I uh, met Linda at Baylor and uh, knew that, you know, definitely knew I was called into ministry and to preach and things like that. Linda was a missionary kid, grew up in East Africa. Her parents were medical missionaries there with the IMB. And so we ended up going back there and um, we were, you know, 17 years in East Africa. When we came back, we had always uh, done our stateside assignments in Midland, Texas, out in West Texas. And that, that they were so kind and generous to us. It was just the most opposite place you could go for where we had been four years at a time in East Africa. It was lovely. <laughs> we came back and we joined them for three years. And then after that, went to San Antonio and joined up at City Church with my lifelong best friend uh, who had said, if you ever come back, I want you to join me here. And so I became a teaching pastor and sort of the pastor on staff for the staff at City Church and uh, just left there a few years ago, uh, kind of went into semi-retirement sort of and uh, developed. It's such a young age too. Crazy. Yeah, it's such a young age. You lazy, you lazy guy. <laughs> I developed my own counseling uh, ministry and uh, that's a lot of what I do now. And just recently uh, I'm doing an interim in the woodlands and so pretty busy with those two things right now as well as uh, living out here with Linda, our kids, grandkids, things like that. Yeah. Well, like the true mentor that you are, because that's just who you are, you're never going to be fully retired because you keep moving further away from uh, like things and people like 
people are just willing to get you there. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, they, they I feel the same way. I hope, I hope I don't somehow <laughs> disqualify myself and that I get to, you know, into old age. Cause like I have other mentors, same thing. They're, they're getting pretty on in years and they're busy as ever, <laughs> you know, not cause they have to, but just cause they get to. Right. So you know, well, you I, know. I wish we, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm still, even today, I've been in multiple email conversations with my lifelong mentor uh, around a talk that I'm doing this weekend. And so he's still mauling me right yeah. in the middle of it. I don't preach the same way that he does, but we're having this back and forth. And uh, so Dave and I are just continuing to do life together. Very much that same idea of uh, probably right now he's watching is what he's doing. And he's saying, that isn't what I taught you. <laughs> right. You know, because yeah, in this case, the watching might be listening. Right. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. 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 Exactly. I, I wish we had all the time in the world, but I want to talk about mall because it has served us really, really well. And it worked well to point out the gaps in my own leadership and discipleship with people. Because like I mentioned in some of our training with folks that I tended, <laughs> I tended to, hey, I've been modeling it. Weren't you paying attention? Well, you'll be fine. And I would just jump right to leave, you know, and there was no looping back. There was none of that stuff. And, um, and one of the things we tell people all the time, you're not really mauling anybody unless they know they're being mauled because they got to be paying attention and watching with a different eye. And they need to, <laughs> they need to, you know, understand that and why, like when you're giving them feedback and adjusting things and saying, Hey, that was great, but this could be different. They're like, why are you doing that? Well, oh, because I'm actually trying to train you. So um, what are your thoughts on like, the, let's go way to the beginning when you're like, hey, I need to maul this person in this, or even when someone's mauling you, how do you, how do you broach that with folks? You know, in your, in your experiences, you're going to develop leaders in various ways, right? As you disciple, how do you say, hey, like, here's something I want to show you and here will be a process or, or do you? Yeah. You know, Caesar. Part of my approach to it, and I'm not suggesting this needs to be the case for everyone, but um, I'm reticent to take the initiative to try to uh, maul someone. I What I really prefer is, is I prefer for someone else to say, would you help me with this? Mm. And the reason for that, Caesar, is I, uh, I think that the vast majority of people tend not to really be all that interested or they're not at a place in their life right now where they can be mauled. And so the idea of trying to maul somebody who doesn't want it, I think you, you can waste a lot of time and energy there. Not that it's ever ultimately a waste of time or energy to actually try to build into someone's life, but in terms of bang for the buck and what you're going to get for it, I think it's really helpful if someone else kind of initiates conversation. And then around that, I would normally say, well, here's how I typically do that kind of thing. Now, I think the exception to that is say like with your own family, your own children, uh, people who are really close to you that you have a God-given responsibility for. Yeah, I'm gonna mold Ben whether he likes it or not because you're my son. And I and you may not like me for it, but here's here's how that's gonna go. Because I'm responsible for you already, and I took that on. But in terms of just with people that I'm doing community with, I, I typically want them to have a desire to do that. And I think it makes the mauling process uh, much more um, effective. Great. So, now, let me ask you this then, because I'm not disagreeing with that. That that falls right into what we talk about when uh, in, in making disciples. 
you're calibrating invitation and challenge in their lives, you know? So you're constantly invitation to more and more time with you and access, and then you're upping the relational challenge of things. So you can get to the point of going, hey, what would you think about starting to take some ownership here? Or what what would you think about, you know, if we taught you this? So let me say, let me ask you this, because I'm dying to hear your, in light of what you just said, what if you're in a community and you're kind of doing like everything and you and your wife are kind of doing it all and kind of, you know, everything that happens, you initiate and, and you want to multiply. So you got to start mulling people and, and developing new leaders, but no one's asking. So then how do you, how do you say, Hey, you know, we've been banking lots of invitation and relational trust here. And I want to, I want to at least ask them, Hey, would, would you, you know, like I'm going to bring the challenge, if you will, up the slope a little. So how do you navigate that versus just, well, for the last 20 years, we've been waiting for someone to ask. Yeah, nobody's asking. So I would say that if you're in a model at church where that's what's going on and your model permits that, then to me, you don't have something that's real, realistic or actually corresponds to reality. Um, which I, thing, I, what do you mean? Like which model supports which thing? I'm just not clear. A model of church that would allow me to be the person doing it all. And no one else has any interest in taking on responsibility for that model. Uh, I think whatever that model of church is that you're using there, that would indicate to me that it's not in the normal flow of life. Because I don't think that's how life normally happens. Whenever people are involved with one another in things that I would call real, not contrived, but real, I think there is a natural desire on the part of some to learn how to do something else better. Let me give a non-church example of that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a part of a hunt game and it's been five of us. And one of the newest guys that we added a few years ago was a guy who moved down from Maryland and he had hunted up in Maryland, but he'd never hunted in Texas. And now he's a part of this gang. I can assure you he was asking right away, can you guys show me how to do this? Can you help me with this? And, and believe me, that's a part of the culture of our community is that we build into one another and we give critique and advice to one another, whether you want it or not, because you're part of the game yeah. and we're managing this thing. And so we're going to do that. And he naturally wanted that. If, if we had, a, if he had no interest in that, he probably would not have been a part of that game with us. Gotcha. And so I think it's, I think whenever you're having to beg other people to take leadership or you're having to beg other people, please let me mull you. That's an indication that what you have there is something that you have designed and created that isn't normal or ordinary. Well, and I, I couldn't disagree. However, I'm not talking about having to beg people. I'm talking about people that are people of peace, believing people of peace, you know, right. And they're leaning into relationship. And so at one point, you know, because they are leaning in, right? They're curious, you know, whatever you've asked them in the past, they're like, I'm on it. And they do their yes is a yes. You know, we talk about like, how do you know those leaders? But, um, but this gives me good food for thought that it should be much more normative. However, (laughs) not all communities or churches are that way, are they? You know, no, they aren't. And because we built a lot of consumers, man, we have built a lot of consumers that are happy to be part of your missional community or your oikos or whatever, just because they dig hanging out and they're nice as heck. And if you ask them, they'll do something, but they're not initiating anything. How are you going right. to get to multiplication? You know, so. so it's just one of the ways that a person identifies as a leader, right? One of the things I learned 
in my time in Africa, when I first got there, everyone was attracted to me because I was the guy who I was white. Number one, I distracted attention quite honestly, because of my, my ethnicity yeah. and I was a minority. I was also American and they saw that quickly. And so Caesar, everyone assumed uh, he has money and maybe I need some money. And so people were attracted to me. I've been there but, many times, my friend. Oh yeah. All the time. And so, but then when I went to um, Northeastern Uganda to work up there at that point in my missionary career, I'd been on the field quite a long time. I, I did everything using story, song, dance, and drama. And I walked everywhere I went. Literally. I didn't have a vehicle up there. We flew in and out. And I, I remember have... that you said the ministry can't go any further than we can walk it no, because it that's go... their life. That's and right. Boy, oh boy, did that anchor in my heart, the, the importance of true proximity. Yes. Not false so what, proximity. <laughs> so here's what I did. I, I had people come into me all the time because they had been other missionaries there who drove everywhere. And so I had people come to me, say, could I go with you? And I'd say, yeah, sure. Meet us tomorrow at this time. We're walking to this place. And they wouldn't show up because they didn't want to walk. And to be honest, they didn't have the calories to walk. They were hungry people. I mean, they didn't have you know, the fat levels that I had. I showed up to walk with you. <laughs> I've had a fly to Uganda to walk with you. And it's yeah. one of my absolute favorite memories and experiences. So, so walk in village to ew. Yeah. What I learned was, is that leaders also self-identify and those are the people that you want to build into. Mm -hmm. And so they're not always the, the smartest people. They may not be the wealthiest people in the group. The guys I worked with up there, Caesar. They were very ordinary and they had been passed over by other missionaries who were there. But doesn't that sound a lot like Jesus and his 12 and the ones he called? Sure does. They, they'd been passed over and yet he called them and they were dying to walk with him. They were dying to follow him. And so those ended up being the guys that I mauled is the guys who self-identified and ladies who would self-identify to actually, you know, do that with you. And so that's who I think you want to put your time and effort into. Well, man, good word there. I, I'm, I'm thinking everybody who's going to be uh, listening to this, watching this is going to back up to hear that, <laughs> including me, hear that again. So let's, let's go a little more granular now. What are some of the myriads of ways that you've mauled people? Okay. Once that's established or however that relationship or that skill or that task, and we'll, yeah, obviously you have that hunting example, but we'll keep it, we'll keep it within areas of ministry. I, you were just mentioning being mauled in even preaching still by one of your mentors. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, what I are mean, some other things that come to mind that are, you've pretty commonly used maul, model assist, watch and leave uh, to develop people. What are some other areas? Well, I do that right now. I'm doing it right now in preaching. All right. So like where I'm doing this interim, I'm not there all the time. And so they gave me a couple other staff guys that would get on stage for a couple of weeks in a row when I'm gone. So I'm kind of three weeks on, two weeks off. And one of the things they asked me to do was just to develop them. And so hmm. at, at City Church, we did team teaching. No, the guy who got in the pulpit was never in the pulpit with a talk that he had written only by himself, but you had three or four other people's eyes and hands on that. And so what I'm doing right now with these couple of guys is I have a, we have a teaching team meeting and obviously it is a meeting set up because I'm not there all the time. I'm not in the woodlands, but between that and our zoom calls and our 
email and follow-ups and things like that, I've, I'm actually, I think, mauling them to try to help improve their, you know, stage communication uh, capacities. And so obviously I'm modeling for them what I'd like them to do when I'm speaking, but I'm also modeling a system and a process for them. We set up a 10 day out so that uh, when you're getting ready to speak on a Sunday, 10 days prior to that, you submit a manuscript to the team, the teaching team, so that we can all look at it. And, and in that manuscript, so I'm mulling that process of getting ready ahead of time. Then in the manuscript itself, we're actually going through it and edit, editing that. And so that's where I'm assisting. I'm assisting them in how they're handling the text. I'm assisting them in the use of our particular model that we use for preaching there. It's, a, it's just a very much a hands-on, me involved. Then they actually get on stage and they preach and I watch because I'm not there, but I'm watching yeah. via, you know, internet here from the river. And then I'm involved with them right away. And, and watching, of course, is all about giving feedback and kind of saying, hey, that's not quite what I meant. That's not what I showed you to do. Remember this? And so it's critiquing and things like that after the fact. And so we're involved in that give and take right now. And I'm certainly not at the leave point with them. And we're not as far down the road as we'd like. But every 10 days, we are in this cycle of M-A-W every 10 days with one another. So that's just something that I'm doing at present. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, one of the, one of the powerful things about maul and mauling people um, that we have found, two, actually two things. One is um, when they know what's going on, and this is the process, not only are they getting a process then, in other words, I, can, I know how to pass this on. However, they also, they, they understand why you're giving them feedback. You're not just picking at them. Like out of the blue, you're picking on my preaching. Why is that? Well, no, we're in this process. The other okay. thing, so that's beautiful. So that takes all that relational. Like, well, I would never say that to somebody about their, I'm like, you would, if you were in a mauling and development, you know, relationship and they would welcome it. You know, the other thing that happens is when you maul people in one area and they feel confident and you've helped them get to that point and mastery and all these things, when you start to do it in another area, they're not like, uh, like you're going to abdicate this. You're going to drop me, you know, no, you're going to model it. I'm going to get to watch, ask questions. Then you're going to help me do it. I might even get to help you in this thing. And then you're going to watch and give feet. So you, you don't have that reticent of like, well, let's, we're taking on a new thing or we're, you're going to be leading in this and, you know, in a while or whatever. It's, it's so powerful in that when, <laughs> when it's really in place as part of your culture. It is. And it, and I, I can give you another example of that happening to me yesterday. So in my, in my counseling ministry, part of what goes on in counseling is obviously it's a two-way street, right? It's a two-way communication. And so when people come to me for counseling, I, I'll, I'll do that with them. And then there are, are always some who naturally go on to say, man, this has been so helpful to me. I would really like to learn how to do this with some other people. And, you know, like I'm working with a lady right now named Rosie. And, um, and we just finished her story. And a lot of her angst and concern is just around a relationship with her husband. And so she has, in every relationship in her life, she lives as a hero, except in her relationship to her spouse. And it all goes back to her story. But she is this 
truly this heroic individual who is constantly encouraging people wants to know how to actually do this with other people. And so the first thing we did is we worked through her own story. And by taking her through the six steps of my process, in a sense, we were modeling for her and she was experiencing right there herself yeah. what it looks like, sounds like, feels like whenever you're working with someone else. And so that is always our baseline. Now we're going back and we're actually saying, we're going to learn how story works by watching some movies together. And so she's watching Lion King this week. It, I've watched nice. it in time with my kids. Because Not Lion the Matrix? Come on. Not the Matrix. No, it's just we're going to the simplest thing. Disney's like the narrative arc was so basic to it. Yeah. So we're using that and we're going to go. And, and so Rosie was the one who said, I want to do this. By walking her through her own story, she's already seen the most basic fundamental piece. Now we're going back to actually do some formalized training, but even the formal training is somewhat informal and it'll just continue to weave her life story and the things I want to teach her together with that. And so I think whenever you, uh, to your point, that whenever you set up a relationship with someone and they know that you care about them and they know that you accept them and they know that you love them and they know that you're not judging them, they learn to trust you and whatever they may end up asking you actually to even mold them in areas that you would say, I'm not sure I'm competent to mold you there, but they still want to know what you think because there is a depth of relationship there and a trust yeah, that is it. fundamental to it. Yeah. I love that you assigned her a movie to watch, you know, as part of that, we are, uh, we're coaching lots of people and, and working through different things in our coaching where we've mauled people on how to build their own story. And now we're working on some gospel listening things and all that. And so one of the things I said is, okay, so you're getting this movement, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This week, I want you to watch your favorite TV show or movie or whatever, and then hit me up, you know, in text or box or whatever, and let me know the movements. Right. And so one of the guys got back on, you know, within 24 hours and he was at, happened to pick a show I really like, you know, yeah. and I knew exactly what he was talking about. He was dead on. It was, there's the movement, you know. You know, Caesar. It, it, one of the things that you're saying, I'm saying it. Uh, I remember Sadoff always saying to him, my buddy that I was doing City Church with, is the importance of templates. And when you're mauling people, having templates that you have used, that you know they were, that's what a recipe is when you're teaching somebody how to cook. You know, you, you're teaching somebody how to cut up a chicken how to make some dish, things like that. You're actually doing it, you know, no, not like that, like this, you yeah. know. And recipes, their templates is what they are. And Caesar, templates for our lives are very important to all of us. And when we have a template that works and that we believe in, that's legitimate, that's based out of the scriptures, then we're able to confidently pass those templates on to people. And that's a part of what our mulling is based around. Once they have that and can do it, and you've taken them through the mull process, then they can easily pass that template on to someone else. Yeah, completely. Uh, yeah. I love that. And I, that's going to cause me to think through other things that we have templated, you know, and things yeah. that we have not yet. <laughs> and I'll bet they're going to squarely fall into the camps of the templated stuff is like, it seems to be reproducing itself and the stuff that we're just being 
I, I use the term uh, Yoda Jesus, you know, like, oh, that guy's, oh, you're so smart. I never could do that because right. I haven't broken it down. Yes, you can. <laughs> you know, one of the mistakes I often make, people ask me all the time, I know how to do stuff, but it's only up here in my head. I don't have a template for it. So people will ask me that about cooking. And it's like, yeah, I don't have a, could you give me the recipe for that? I don't have a recipe. In fact, I don't like to write recipes down. I just like to cook out of my head. Okay. Yeah. I can do that. It doesn't mean they can. So the, the taking the time to put the, put it in a template form is actually a way of serving someone else who can't do what you can do just out of their head. Yeah. And this is true in, in ministry as well. And so. There are things that I know I can do because they come naturally to me. And those tend to be the things that I do, that I focus on, but that doesn't mean everyone else can do them. And so you have to do the serving work of giving people a template that they can actually hang on to. You said something real important there too, I think, John, is that you're not going to maul everybody in every area of their spiritual life or life. You know, it's just like in community, Tina has templated out and taught people how to shop and how to, you know, prepare meals for like a large community. And what do you do for leftovers? And what if someone comes over and they, they're gluten-free or what, you know, she, she teaches all that stuff and, 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 and time at the stove and showing people our favorite stuff and all that. I don't do that <laughs> in our communities, in our life though, I can cook and I have, I have taught like my grandson, poke, poke, stir, you know, that's how we're going right. to do the eggs now. Poke, poke, I get those yolks, you know. But Tina's the one she did it with our kids. They all cook like champs. Now she's, she's mauling the grandkids. And that's exactly the term we use. You know, we're like, you know what? You have to maul our grandson Patton here and how to make the popcorn. Well, she has, Yeah, he's like the, he's five. He's the best popcorn maker in our family. I want to go, let me go to another thing and get your feedback on this. I, I really believe that one of the ways that we build providential relationships is through doing four things together. You, uh, you eat together, you play together, you talk about your life in the context of your faith together, and you work together. And Caesar, I think those are the things that if you want this fantastic relationship with anyone, if you want it with your spouse, if you want it with your children, if you want it with your closest friends, if you want it with your colleagues in ministry, whatever, at work, those are the four things you have to do. How does... And, and, the, and the doing of those things over and over again together, it seems to me, is a template and it's a part of a mauling process, even if I don't necessarily follow, you know, call it M-A-W-L. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? 100%. We, we have what we call the discipleship rhythms, the six rhythms of life. I, I've shared them with you the same day you shared mall with me. You remember this? We were in that, that ministry home uh, out in the Savannah. Anyway. And these six discipleship rhythms are always happening in our life. And we say, that's what you're doing already. But now we're going to do it with some intentionality. So it's like getting to know each other's stories, celebrating, yep. recreating, which is playing together and resting or working and resting together. There's listening, you know, like, who are we listening to? Do we want to listen to some stuff together? Are we listening to God both backward and forward? You know, all that stuff. So I 100% agree with that. But I'll tell you what jumped my heart right away is when people ask us, how have you... How have you gotten so far into the depth of relationship with people consistently that you have in community? Well, because for us, it's not a weekly meeting and we don't just do the same one thing. We're looking to, you know, we want them to be part of our family, part of the Oikos. And so all the stuff you're saying, we're like, 
I right away want to get past just having a meal together. We're like, well, that's for some, that's like the mountain to climb. Right. And I'm like, well, not for us, you know, but then yeah. like, we are always watching some comedy afterwards, or we're going to, we're going to go through our favorite soundtracks. And I let everybody like, what's your favorite songs from high school? What, what song did you play at your wedding and all that? And this bonds you and it's funny. And yeah. so I always tell people, give us six months with somebody in community and we're going to have eaten a million times together, played right. together, worked together, laughed together, probably yeah. cried and talked about some deep stuff and prayed for yeah. one another. And I'm not talking they're even Christians yet. You know what I mean? Just like, right. because we're doing those, you know, and is that a template for those people at that point? Probably not. Yeah. But the people that were discipling and coaching, yes, yes it is. Yes, yes, it is. And yeah. so part of why folks come out here and want to be with us for training or they'll come in for a weekend or we'll go and do a small retreat with just folks for coaching or whatever, is we want to be able to model more of that template. So they kind of have, they might, folks might come thinking like, I'm going to a conference. You're like, no, it felt like we hung out like a family all weekend, but boy, oh boy, I got set free in this area and I've never laughed harder about that. And I feel like I made a new best friend in my life and so-and-so. It's like, there you go. That's the kingdom of God breaking in. Spiritual freedom, relational peace, increasingly. <laughs> the two things that were broken in the garden, being restored by the power of the gospel, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that sits for you, but that's, yeah. that's what I hear when I hear you talking about those things. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's, I think we're saying the same thing. It's good to hear you talk about it. Let me bring up another thing. We haven't, we haven't talked to each other in so long. I'm, I'm doing so much now with people discovering their life purpose through God's redemption of their own story, right? Yeah. So all the chaos and the conflict and the pain of your past, why did God let you go through that? He lets you go through that because he wants to redeem it. And there are certain things that came out of that. You, you got a skill set out of that and you have tremendous energy about something. And there's also probably some category of person that you really care deeply about. They touch your heart and you're drawn to that them. And it's the overlap of these three things. What do I have tremendous energy for? I love it. I can't get enough of it. I could do it all day long. I can't tire of it. What am I really great at? My skill set and the people that I care about, the overlap of those three, the hedgehog of it is your life purpose. And Caesar, what I'm trying to get people to do is to discover their life purpose out of their own story. See how that combines, where that intersects, of course, with God's story. and then. Live out your purpose in order to reach your full potential for which God placed you on the earth. And, though, and as you reach your full potential, and then you use your potential for the benefit of others, I think that's what it actually means to follow Jesus. You give your life away through the lens of your own life purpose. Wow. It's part and parcel of who you are. It's what you uniquely As an image offer. bearer uniquely yes. displaying some aspect of who God yes. is and what he's like. I and love so it. that is where I'm encouraging people also, or I would be to be involved with people and to be mauling out of your own purpose, because you know that stuff, right? Yeah. It, God let you live that whole life. And as he's redeeming it, you have something very unique to offer. And normally Caesar, I think this is what other people come to you for. Like you'll, I laugh at this. I don't know if you will. Hold on one second. Here, but here, here's what's going on in all of our heads okay. as Christians. Some guy named Paul said, got to be all things to all men. Yeah. And you're like, darn it. But I suck at most stuff. I it. So 
So all things to all men, obviously, is this servant concept that I'm here for you, not you're here for me to take from you. I think that's what is at the core of it. That's what it means to give your life away for the benefit of others. You actually care about those other people. All right. Sorry to interrupt you there. <laughs> yeah. So let me see if I can get my train of thought back. Because I, um, Oh, look. So when I came back from the mission field, I had not taken a, a spiritual gifts inventory in like 17 years. And so I thought, well, I ought to do that as I'm getting started in ministry again. So I took one. And the first thing that came up on this spiritual gifts inventory was wisdom. And I didn't believe it. So I took it again. I took another one. And wisdom came up again at the top as my number one gift. And the reason I flushed it, Caesar, was because I looked back on my own life and I said, I don't think I've been all that wise. I think most of what I learned, I learned from the mistakes that I made. Well, nonetheless, it was proven out to be true that at City Church, they asked the people, and you know, there were thousands in attendance, and they asked them, they said, who, how do you see our different staff people? And it was like, who do you see Witty as? And oh, Witty is everyone's father. That's how they saw me. I was like the old man who was everyone's father who, you know, had this huge father wound or their dad left them and they never, they didn't grow up with a dad or whatever. I was like the father figure and I became the wise guy in, in a good sense on behalf of these people. This is what people nowadays come to me for. And they see that in me, and I, I'm still sometimes amazed that I could have a gift of wisdom. It has to be given from God because I don't see how I earned it. But nonetheless, it's what I have to offer and give away to people. And, I, and so I think there is something unique about each of us. And it is, it, it is at that point that we have the special opportunity to mull and to serve and, and give our lives away to people. And see that what that does is that allows people to be who God created them to be. Go after that. Don't be shy or embarrassed about that or say, that's a gift. You know, yeah. that, that's a gift from God. And I want to steward that well. It also takes the pressure off of you can maul people in what you're absolutely gifted at and good at. Yeah. And though they might not have that same level of gifting of you that, that you have, they can yeah. certainly grow and learn in it. And it's not everything you got to maul someone in. Yeah. However. Here's one, let's say one other good thing about that. Yeah. And that is, if you're really gifted at something, Caesar, and somebody else isn't going to be, when it comes to watching and you're critiquing of them, you have to be generous. Because they're never possibly going to do it at the level you would do it, right? Yeah. And sometimes we can be too critical. And what I've learned from my mentor, who is a genius IQ and can do most things better than I can... He is phenomenally generous toward what I do. Well, thanks for saying that about me, but yeah, I didn't... you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's a that's a very granular piece on the on the watch level is that is our generosity and grace toward mm -hmm. people who maybe can't do something as well as we can do it naturally, but it's encouraging to them. Yeah. Wow. Well, lots of wisdom in that, brother, all of this and some bonus things on even identifying the things we're passionate about. Wow. I know I'm going to get a lot of folks asking about this and also, but I, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and wrap us up. Brother, it's so good to see you and, and hear you and experience that wisdom. Again, it's been a, a little bit too long since we've spoken. All right. Very all right, good. Brother. That's Thank awesome. You. Wow. Again, I promised you, I promised you he was going to drop some bombs on you. So much to think about there. 
Now, as uh, always, I'm going to leave you with big three takeaways. Kind of hard to distill this down today. <laughs> really, really was. But I want you to have the big three. If nothing else, you're not going to want to miss those. And they're written down. And you can get a printable PDF of that. Just go to everydaydisciple.com forward slash big three, B-I-G three. Okay, so here's the big three for this week. It was hard to pull them out. But here's number one. If you're not intentionally developing new leaders within your church or missional community all the time, you'll find yourself with a leadership vacuum. You don't want to wait until you're lacking leaders who will serve and help with growth. You need to develop new leaders as part of your ongoing disciple-making process. And if you do this consistently, I promise God will bring growth to your community or your church. But God's not about creating a bunch of Christian orphans. So we want to develop new spiritual parents, so to speak, new leaders, before you need them, and then watch what God does. Number two, oftentimes we don't put forth the effort to pass on our knowledge and skills because we like being seen as the expert on everything. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. It feels good to be the one everyone comes to for solutions and help and insights. And the flip side of this coin is when you don't maul people in the things that you're already or naturally good at, others just assume that they could never do what you do. Yeah, but mauling MC shows them, no, they can, and I'm going to help you with it. By modeling your skills, assisting people in doing those things, watching them do it, and giving them feedback, and then leaving them to lead with their own style, you'll give people the confidence that they too can be used by God and probably in many of the same ways they've seen you doing it, but maybe they'll even do it better. Number three, you build providential relationships through doing these four things. Man, I love this from John. He says, you eat together, you play together, you talk about your life in the context of your faith together, and you work and serve together. Doing these four things over and over again together is a template for leadership development, and it's a part of the overall mauling process. I'm just going to say those four things again. You eat together, you play together, you talk about your life in the context of your faith together, and you get out and you work and you serve together. Wow. i tell you what, that one really rocked me when John was saying that. And again, I want to thank my good friend and mentor, John Witte, for spilling out his wisdom and allowing us the benefit of his experience from decades, literally, of developing successful leaders all over the world. Okay, well, that's about it for today. I hope you'll join me again next week. We're going to talk about moving from attracting to deploying. Okay, maybe you know what that is all about just as (laughs) I say that. Remember, leadership development, like we just talked about in this episode and the last, is really discipleship further up the relational slope. We don't develop leaders and disciples just so we can gather them up on a weekend somewhere. We want to be equipping and sending them out, deploying them, sending them out to make more disciples. We're going to dive deep into the reality of living as the church in the new covenant, which is a go and make people rather than a come and see people. You're not going to want to miss that. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today. For more information on this show and to get loads of free discipleship resources, visit everydaydisciple.com. And remember, you really can live with the spiritual freedom and relational peace that Jesus promised every day. 